Thank you for following this podcast. Today we're going to talk about George Washington Carver. What a man. He achieved so much and he had quite a long life. Um, His hobby was botany and he, he loved it. And he loved it so much he began to teach it. Anyway, before I go right into it, Let's read you a bit of a bio about George. Carver was an exceptionally uncommon man, trailblazing scholar, a scientist, pioneer, conservationist, and impassioned educator. We're going to follow his life from slave to orphan to his student days as the first African American who attended Iowa. Iowa State College, where he later taught, and on to his work in the field of agriculture. That does say a lot about the man, but does it say enough? I, you know, I don't think so. Anyway, um, let's talk a little bit more about him. This was someone who's destined to be learned. He was born in Missouri's Ozarks region. Ozarks region, which, funny enough, is a Turkish word. Don't know how that got into it, but it did. It's like many states in America. If you knew where they were from, you'd stop and think. Now he was born in the frontier town of Diamond Grove during the Civil War, 1861 to 1865. Little is known about his father, but his mother was a young woman named Mary. And he had brothers and sisters who lived with us. It wasn't that easy. And he lived on... um, He was a slave of his family. Um, And he lives on Moses and Susan... Carver's farm, hence where I believe they would have got his name and they would have kept it. And by all means, um, this was a nice, <laughs> if you can call any of them nice, little rednecks, but it was a, a place where he lived with a um, Moses and Susan, who were by all intents and purposes really nice to him. He never had to worry about food or clothing. I mean, he still had his chores to do. He couldn't just get up one day and say, I'm not doing that. He had to get, the, he had to get their, their farm animals that they kept in the grain. Not a lot of it, but enough of it. And um, he started to help out in it. He wasn't a very strong guy, but he could do the little bits around the house. And they began to appreciate that. Anybody would... Anyway, he lived on that farm um, with Moses and he was treated really well. They called him Uncle Moses and Auntie, uh, you know, the same old thing. And got on well with him. He was given from a young age a school that he went to. Then he was given a spelling elementary book and a small 
blackboard, one which he loved and used to use. And um, he loved his learning. And also he used to help with the housework. So, you know, there was a lot made of him and he used to lap it up. And they used to be very good at cottage arts, you know, like sewing and that type of thing. So obviously, he would do that, whereas the other boys would do the more pressing work. At this stage, he began to notice art. He liked listening to the chipmunk chatting in the woods. He was always grazing at grass, tiptoeing around toad schools rather than stamping them. And rather than the milkweed, the boy felt closest to his god, whom he came to call the Great Creator. Isn't that amazing? Even in those days. And he believed. And he didn't need to be told really about God. It wasn't a time for him to go through. He just called him the great creator. Marvellous. Now, George's love of nature led him to a rock collection in the corner of the Carver cabin. A pen for pet frogs outside. And far away a garden he kept secret for fear of scorn. It was considered foolishness. It wasn't if he could do anything with it. But anyway, he had it, and he looked after it, and people respected him for it. So, you know, he didn't really have any problems. Now, added to his art collection the feelings about which he longed to know more. When he was around 12, he made his mind to move to a nearby Neosho, a town with a school for blacks. He left home with the carver's blessing, Jim's good luck wishes, and his belongings in a bandana. In Nisho, George found favour with Andrew and Maria Watkins, for whom he did chores in exchange for room and board. His duties ranged from housework to helping the missus hunt for plants and herbs with healing powers crucial for the people doctoring she did. So she was a bit of a homopath really. And, and um, of course, George Carvey, he, he learned from that. He wasn't going to leave that behind. Now, Aunt Maria quickly divided. You must learn all the names of the plants and what they do. Because one day, 
he could help you. Anyway, as if this wasn't enough, he really started getting to art, started to paint things, um, started to um, leave different designs about the place. Yeah. And they went to um, Iowa, a culture college, and model farm. He started to study things like fungi. I mean, you know, and his interest went back to when he was younger, when he could remember it, what he used to do with it. Aunt Maria and they just forwarded him. You know, a lot of people put him down, but if you want to, you can have a look at some of the pictures he drew. They're pictures that are, are still captured on the internet and look really remarkable. And of course, it's always around cotton. Decades of cultivating cotton, 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 cotton has sapped the soil's fertility, leaving it in a state of near starvation. Most of the farmers were sharecroppers. Tuscany Institute was hungry too. Many of its Thousand acres of swampland. He became a bit of an expert in the soil, and of course, if you can make the soil come back to its life, you had work, and he had loads of work. Making grass grow was a metaphor for Carver's workload, along, along with creating an agricultural course of study, teaching and research. Beehives. Beehives is really interesting. And if you know anything about beehives, you know when we don't have beehives anymore, no longer will people be on this earth. They're so important. Not wasps, because we know what wasps do. Well, they basically do what they want. But bees, their hives, their honey, they always help us. Also, supervising campus, landscaping and grounds maintenance was also among his duties. So was improving the school's outreach programs to the local farmers. When state funds came through in 1897. Carver would manage it so that they made a profit out of it. He was disappointed but he didn't despair using bottles and jars as beakers and Bunsen burners bowls and teacups and containers and granny needs it as he needs old pots, pans, 
as with regard nature, revere nature, respect nature. That was Carver's message, and spreading it was not how he helped. Had he possessed a magic wand, he would have waved away the delegation of black force, black force folks, but was at the root of so much hunger. If he had this, the temperament of a Frederick Douglass, or, or an Ida B. Mills, he would have packaged away his microscope and raised rallies for equality of opportunity. That's what I would have thought of, really, but clearly he was a better man than me. Just done what he had to do. So really you can see him um, rise up from a, a young person or young man, grow up from a young man, was in college, did the college, was earning his board and um, doing it really well. And um, there was no way he was going to give it up. you you got to say, great for him. He even got as far as they started to have farmers markets. And you know what? You, you got to give him credit. He he got involved in them as well. Now, as when his teaching subjects such as botany and chemistry, or techniques such as deep plowing and crop rotation, Carver sought to instill this knowledge in his students. He believed that one day they would be able to use it. His best interest is treasure nature not just hide away from it. This is a big problem. But, you know, he, he taught, taught them so well. They loved it. The farmer whose soil produces less every year is unkind to it in some way. He stated in the Negro Farmer, a Tuscany journal, those who were unkind to the soil, soil robbers, he called them ultimately harming themselves. The sick of the soil, the less potent, potent and plentiful the produce that farmers bought to market. It's true, if you treated that soil bad, it wasn't going to make you reap the rewards. It was just going backwards. And, you know, when you think back, America was really a farming country in that time. They had to treat it with love. Now Carver taught in a way that farmers could renew their bodies and the earth by planting crops largely ignored in the south, including sweet potatoes which many call yams, cow peas, also known as black-eyed peas, and goobers, another name for peanuts. All are rich in vitamins and minerals, and all return nutrients and soil they grow. He basically done really well. Peanuts reminds me of somebody, a president of the United States, can't remember him. 
He got rich in peanuts. Can't remember his name now. I mean, if it comes, I will let you know. But you know what? Do your own research. Find out more about this man. This man made serious changes in his own country. Now, within within six months of Carver's death, and with President Franklin Roosevelt blessing U.S. Congress passed legislation for the creation of George Washington Carver National Movement, a huge park in Diamond, Missouri. The first national monument of someone who's not a U.S. president would be stamp with Booker T. Washington, which was to be an honour. They really did respect him. And if you want to go back through history, he's got a lot of art, a lot of drawings. You'll find them online. And um, I think of his time, this was a stand-up guy, full stop. You got any questions, email me down below. And I'll see if I can answer him. Thank you for listening.